Your gift to KPFT could double if your company has a matching gift program. Your help makes a difference. This is 90.1 KPFT Houston.
This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Soundtrack to a Revolution. We hope you enjoyed Buica with a little bit of Carlos Santana in there. And we got to light it up because our familia from Generation Radio just left the studio after another brilliant broadcast. It really is a blessing to be on KPFT where, you know what? I'm going to say it. There is no mainstream radio station bringing you exactly what we're bringing you and it is puro kpft nuestra palabra latino writers having to say on the air really is happy to to join you as you commiserate with other folks from kpft and i'm going to say it for the hundredth time it's beautiful to be united with the familia from generation radio bringing you some awesome music deep thoughts i want to stay mad see only art can save us. And when I see the lineup we have, when I'm surrounded by the folks that are giving their all for the community, I don't stay as mad. We still got as much energy. We're still going to get as much done. But then I'm like, you know what? We're going to win this. And today on the radio program, we're bringing you more voices besides incredible music. Second half of the show, Adrian Villegas, who is making people laugh all over the country. We can claim him from Tejas. He'll be on the air live. And at the top of the program, because the 4th of July is coming up, joining us live on the air, Dr. Maggie Rivas Rodriguez, who is the genius behind the Voices Project, which is going on 20 years, archiving the contributions of our community and so much more. And we've got a lot to celebrate here in Houston, Tejas today that I want to share with you. And and again, we are saying this with the privilege of 100,000 watts. My name is Tony Diaz, Libre Traficante. Q is running the board so smoothly with some great music, Mano. Yo, yo, what's up? And Buica's got the Afro-Latin thing going on también, yeah, Mano, right? Yes, that album, Santana, that's a really good song. Man. Right? And Carlos Santana on top of it. Shredding it, man. <laughs> still got it. <laughs> you, can, you can hear those chords and you're like, you know who that is. Even if you didn't know who it was. still has it, man. And we got Marlon putting together a great radio show from top to bottom. Thank you, Marlon, for all that you do. You're welcome. Hey, Tony, by the way, uh, Santana will be in town this week, I believe. Ooh. Oh, man. And he puts on a great show. So if you get a chance to go see him. Go see him. <laughs> Road trip. Mm. Mm-hmm. And thanks to Letty. Lopez, who helps us as well. We are tweeting each other at obscene hours of the day. (laughs) 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 Talking about putting this great lineup together. But there is a lot to celebrate. Of course, on a very somber note, but real note, today is Close the Camps Day. National, um, the NEA, National Education Agency, has a big conference in town today. They were protesting there at Discovery Green telling people, close down your concentration camps for these kids. Uh, uh, Throughout the country, people are making different actions to let the government know that they got to stop this. Shouts out to Fiel, Cesar Espinosa, and his crew that have been keeping it real for a long time now. Happens to be an issue that the rest of the country is involved in. We got to unite. And again, I, I get mad about this stuff. But when I see how many allies we have, when I know that we are uniting to overturn these terrible practices, it does inspire me. And it's going to take art, literature, culture, activism, politics, all of that to come together. I also want to celebrate. Shout out to Mecca. Alice Valdez was just out at their fine institution. A $1.7 million grant from the country of Qatar for the Qatar Harvey Relief Fund. They will now have funds to revamp their building after the destructions of Harvey to bring their building up to code. They're getting an elevator in there to help everyone they can. And additionally, if you've been to Mecca for some of the events, we've promoted so many of the MBA events. I've been privileged to be there as well. They have a very humble theater that gets stuff done. So it doesn't got to be state-of-the-art for me. 
they do the most important work in the country. Let's get that straight first. We don't need anybody to tell us if it lives up to your criteria. It does. However, it is sweet that now they have enough funds to make it state-of-the-art so that everybody's jaw will drop. I don't care from what walk of life you are, how privileged your upbringing was. When you walk into that theater from now on in the future, you will say, wow, community has it going on, as they should. And children will grow up thinking that that's how they should be surrounded by art. Love it. So I am still on an adrenaline high from being in that room. Uh, Gracie Signs presided over it. And you had so many other community members. Saw Poncho Claus there, all celebrating Alice Valdez and her work. I'm wrong. I keep saying they're only 40 years old. They're 40 years old if we go by how they've been documented by the government, which means a 501c3, which I don't go by that. They've been convening and working together for 49 years. That's how much of her life she's given back to the community. So blessings to that. And for our soapbox, our excerpt of cultural capital, I do need to give another shout out to Norma Alarcón, a Chicana icon who's donated 1,000 books to Libro Traficante in Houston, Texas. Today, that's what's celebrating freedom of speech, our literature, our way, our voices, our way, today and forever. And if you are on our newsletter, you're the first to hear about this and updates. If you go to the blog at TonyDiaz.net, Cultural Capital, it's this latest installment. But we do have to recognize we're so humbled and proud that someone like Noma Alarcón, who among many things uh, was one of the founders of Third Woman Press, which has changed the world through the literature, has donated 1,000 of her books to Houston, Texas, Nuestra Palabra, the Libro Traficantes. We're going to spread that community cultural capital through institutions that look one way now and continue to rise. So this is going to go to the library at Talento Bilingue de Houston. That's going to get bigger soon. It's going to go to the Harris County Libraries. Those annexes are going to get bigger soon. And the Houston Public Library, whose buildings will get bigger soon, will keep you apprised of all that. But I am ecstatic because we used to have to create underground libraries when racists in Arizona banned Mexican literature. That is not the case anymore. Community cultural capital overturned those un-American laws. And now we are privy to the upper echelon of mainstream world, which is right and just and going to keep happening. Thank you for listening to Nuestra Palabra for all these years. You're our supporters that God is here when these dreams sounded audacious. We are on the pinnacle of realizing all of this right and left. So I am ecstatic and I really was mad. I'm going to close out the soapbox with this. I was very angry because all of our freedom of speech is at risk. Perhaps you heard about Jose Bello, who is a poet, who is undocumented and had been reading some of his work critiquing what's going on with policies by the U.S. in America right now. Shortly after his readings in public, criticizing what's going on, as we all should be doing, he was rounded up by ICE. That's no coincidence. That is an attempt to silence our community. And with an administration that has said that the press is the enemy of the people, ladies and gentlemen, we're part of that press. We're not your enemy. We're here to help you. But in the same era as a, a presidential administration calls the press the enemy of the people, now you have ice rounding up poets. And I'm sorry, we smuggled books into a state that banned Mexican studies. This is not conspiracy theory. And we're not exaggerating. This is a real threat to freedom of speech and intellectual freedom. We applaud the American Civil Liberties Union for taking up this case, bring it to everyone's attention. We applaud PEN America for getting the word out. We're going to play that poem later on on our radio show because KPFT and Nuestra Palabra is all about freedom of speech. That's the soapbox today. So I'm not mad now. I was a lot more angry earlier, but the music... The art, your support has made it clear to me, we're going to win this batalla. We are on the right side of history, and we're going to make sure everyone's voice is released. So I'm in a better mood now, and we're going to celebrate with our history, our art, our culture. And a little later, Dear America, the poem that got Jose Bello 
round it up by ice. We're going to play it at 100,000 watts. Please spread the word. We'll make sure to download it. We'll make sure to put it on our website because this is Nuestra Palabra. Latino writers having their say on the air. We're going to take a short break and then we're going to be back with La Meta Meta, Dr. Maggie Rivas Rodriguez. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra. Latino writers having their say on the air on KPFT 90.1 FM. You are experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. And next we have, joining us through the magic of telephony, Dr. Maggie Rivas Rodriguez. Can you hear me? I can. Great. Fantastic. Hi, Th Tony. Hi. Thank you so much for calling in. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And we, we want to remind folks that you've got over 17 years of daily news experience, mostly as a reporter, including for the Boston Globe. WFAA-TV in Dallas and the Dallas Morning News. Her, your first job was as a copy editor for UPI in Dallas. You served as the Morning News U.S.-Mexico Border Bureau Chief based in El Paso, all prestigious occupations. And your vital research, which really has changed the world, your interests include in research the intersection of oral history 
and journalism, U.S. Latinos and the news media, both as producers of news and as consumers. Rivas Rodriguez founded the Voces Oral History Project, formerly the U.S. Latino and Latina World War II Oral History Project in 1999, which has videotaped interviews with over 960 men and women throughout the country who served the United States. Stories based on those interviews are written mostly by UT journalism students, which is really brilliant as part of their coursework and also helps their scholarship career. The project has several components designed to reach audiences ranging from school children to academics to the general public. Voices has organized conferences, produced some brilliant books, many documentaries, co-produced a two-act play to the Arizona State University Public Events and the University of Texas Performing Arts Center, created educational materials. Voices has become an international resource for documentary film producers, scholars, journalists, and the general public. It's supported by grants, state funds, and private donations. So thank you so much for everything that you do. Oh, thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for letting me have a little platform and talking about, about some of the issues that we've We've uncovered with our project and our work. No, by all means. And, and I really think that what's key is that, of course, with the 4th of July coming up, we were brainstorming how to really bring out our community's role in, in you know, what has become the, the United States of America. But also what's fitting, too, is that we want to tell people ahead of time that you'll be celebrating the 20th anniversary of the U.S. Latino and Latina World War II Oral History Project uh, this November. And you'll be bringing in the likes of, you know, uh, uh, you know, Juan Gonzalez, who is a hero. If you say Juan Gonzalez's name, especially in KPFT, everyone knows him, of course, from yeah. uh, Democracy Now. So, first of all, congratulations! And, and did you expect this project to take off the way it did? You know, I would. I'd love to say that I had the foresight, but to be, <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> when we first started, I, it, we were really in survival mode, and we were just trying to. Uh, get as many interviews as we could, as quickly as we could, uh, because we realized, and this was 20 years ago, we realized that we had a small window. So I was just looking at trying to do what we could in the present, and I, and I, and I really didn't, I, I expected it was going to be World War II. What I didn't expect that from day one, people were asking us, well, when are you going to do Vietnam? Mm. And, whoops, are you still there, Tony? Yes, we put a, okay. a musical bed behind you. <laughs> okay, so uh, so I didn't realize that the people were going to be, you know, there was going to be that kind of demand. So we ended up, uh, so I would say, well, whenever we get enough money, we will start interviewing people from the Korean War and the Vietnam War generation. So in 2009, I got a gigantic grant, a federal grant, and with that uh, grant, it allowed us to expand our scope to the Korean and the Vietnam War periods. So our project has not only been the the military part of World War II, but it's always been the entire era because there were there were men who didn't serve in the military and did other things stateside. There were people that were family members of uh, of of, milit- of you know men in uniform and women in uniform, and they all have a part of of our history. And so we've always maintained that that's an important element that needs to be included in our narrative. And, and we've always had women who were defense workers or wives waiting for their husbands to come home or women working um, at, uh, at defense contractor for defense contractors. So we've always included those different elements. So in 2010, we, we, we expanded to Korea in the, in the Vietnam War period, and that just opened up all kinds of new uh, dimensions for us. So one thing that happened was that um, we now have a political and civic engagement collection and that's been where I've, I've been doing a lot of interviews, but just coincidentally, a lot of the people that we've interviewed are also military veterans. But political and civic engagement includes, say, the, the first Hispanic, first Latino, Latina to be elected to their county, um, county commission or to their city council or school board or people who worked on some of those campaigns because in the 70s and, and even today, there are people who really give themselves to working on these campaigns and ensuring that, that Latinos get greater political participation and representation. And so that's a very important element that we want to make sure to include. Which I think is powerful, but I would like listeners to not make light of the fact that it took your your viewpoints and, and, and sensibilities to to direct things this way. 
because in my opinion, just the face value, you could have just stuck with one facet of this project. But I, I mean, we won't even have time to talk about all the different layers because you mentioned brilliantly each different you know era of of, of conflict, but then also all the supporting roles, which is very insightful. But also the the civil rights aspect. I'd like to talk a little bit about bringing in journalism students too, because to me that's also huge. Uh, to tell people a little bit about that component. Yeah. So, so, you know, I'm a former journalist, as you mentioned, and I'm a, a professor in the journalism department at UT Austin. So I teach my classes, and I teach an oral history class. I teach oral history as journalism, now it's oral history as multimedia. Uh, but it's it's been very important for us to develop the interviews into some sort of journalistic treatment, either a story, which if you go to our website, it's mostosoralhistoryproject.org, um, you can find stories about most of the people we've interviewed. Or you'll find multimedia, some you know five-minute short documentary about them. So it's, it's important for us because our students need to get the experience of doing these long-form interviews and really delving in and understanding all the different aspects of conducting an interview and the preparation that it takes. So my students will spend the entire semester learning about a topic now that, you know, we're doing political and civic engagement, they'll spend the entire semester learning about that topic and then also about interviewing, and then they'll do one interview and one interview, but that's all building up to that one interview. So by the time they get to their interview, they're pretty well prepared and they're really skilled and they understand a lot more about um, about what it takes in an interview to ask follow-up questions, make sure that you understand all the different contexts that are being, being brought up. But it's not just my students in the class. Uh, when I, I, I have in the past included journalism students from other professors' classes because at a certain point, the, the project really was much bigger than my class, my oral history class, and it was much bigger than, um, much more work than I could do by myself. So students in other professors' classes also wrote stories for this. And then we would do side-by-side -side edits, and so we'd spend an hour going through their story word by word to make sure that this is the meaning that we really want and uh, and so it, it's a it's a it's a really important aspect of our project. And the reason it's so important is because when people think of oral history, Tony, they think of oral history usually they associate it with history departments or with libraries. Very rarely do oral history projects reside in journalism departments. Mm. And in some ways, it's kind of crazy because journalism departments really have there's so much synergy with oral history. We spend a lot of time thinking and talking and doing interviews, and we also uh, we also know how to do some of the technical aspects of recording, videotaping, and making sure we have you know great audio. Um, and then we also learn how to create mini documentaries or podcasts, audio stories. So in a lot of ways, it it makes perfect sense. So that's why my students, not just my students, but other professor students, have really been a, a, a major part of making sure that these stories get out. So if you go to our website, you can find these stories. And including, Tony, I was listening to your soapbox a second ago, and you were saying that you were upset and angry and stuff. And so um, I, I re there's one story that came out of Houston, and it's with a World War II veteran uh, that kind of gets at some of the sentiments that you were sharing. His name was Alfred J. Hernandez. Alfred J. Hernandez was born in Mexico City, and served in World War II, and when he was, you know, serving in stateside in Virginia, New York, and then he went to Europe and Northern Africa, he was treated as an American citizen because, American GI, because he was wearing an Army uniform. And then he got back to Houston, and he found some of the same prejudice mm. that he had left behind. And at this point, he was married, and he told his wife, you know, we need to move out of here. We need to move to either Mexico or up north where things are going to be better for people like us. And she talked him out of it. She said, you know, the fight is here. We should stay mm -hmm. here and improve conditions here. And I, and I think it's kind of the same feeling that a lot of people are having uh, when they feel that they're, that, you know, Latinos are so um, um, targeted in so many different ways that it's 
very discouraging, but this is where the fight is. And it's, I don't know that we have a lot of choices about, about how we respond. I mean, we have to do something constructive and we need to, we need to resist. No, that's beautiful. And, and I think what's touching is that exactly, it's almost like it makes us feel like we're not crazy and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. But I also love that you've added all these different layers to, like you mentioned, scholarship, uh, journalism, um, students who, who are involved in a class but it has this real-world real world impact. I, I think that is really brilliant because, again, in, in my humble opinion, in the academic world, you could have made a career out of one of those lanes. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know? but, well, that, that's true. I could have. I could have, but, you know, I... I um there's a lot of people who have shaped what we do. And had it not been for all the different people that have been involved, we, we would not be where we are today. And, there, and those people include scholars who from day one, and journalists, including Juan Gonzalez, when this was just, you know, we're just thinking about an oral history project dedicated to the World War II generation in 1990. I wrote a magazine piece in 1992 that talked about civil rights in the post-war Mexican-American uh, generation and how it opened do- doors for us. And uh, I had this idea about an oral history project, and so Juan Gonzalez was one of the people that I talked to. And people understood immediately why this was so important and, and, and all the potential that it had. So it's people like Juan Gonzalez and a lot of other journalists and, and professors. You know, Later on, we became much more involved with, us, with the academic community and there's been there's been so much support and people understanding this is what we have to do. Oral history is really what we have to do so that we can tell the stories of Latinos because it all starts with primary source materials. If we don't have people that are writing memoirs or leaving their papers, their records at, at archives, we don't have the primary source material to do the research. So oral history fills that gap and it creates primary source material that then we can go back and we can write books. In fact, when in 1992, when I was working on that magazine piece about Mexican-Americans and post-war civil rights, I could not find a single book about wow. the topic or even a single book about the Mexican-American or Latino World War II experience. Not a single book. Wow. We've now produced five books and other people have produced more. And I'm not saying it's because of us. But I do think okay, there's something I've seen about it. we inspire I, one I'm another. I'm going to say you know? it. It's because of you. I'll say it then. It's because of you. But <laughs> well, it, it's really, I don't think it is because of me, but I, but I do think that it's just kind of a, uh, an idea whose time has come. And I do think that once once we start doing it, I do think that we inspire other people to do to look at our communities in different ways. And and that's kind of the beauty of it. I mean, we've been, we've traveled around and we've we've done oral histories all over the country. And I'm really thrilled when I see other communities start to look at themselves in different ways and realize they have important stories to tell and they really need to preserve them and to, to bring them up to light. So I've seen this in um, a little town in Sonora, Texas. They had a Mexican school in Sonora, Texas. It got, it got raised. You know, they desegregated the schools and then that little building was, was, uh, was raised. Well, much later, they came to one of our events, and then they went back, and they have a little plaque there. Wow. And they, were, they had a big ceremony because they felt that this was such an important part of their history, and it shaped the lives of so many of the, of the Mexican-Americans who came out of there. And some of those people were very, very bitter about that experience, but this was just kind of an, an acknowledgement that this is what we survived, we endured, and we thrived despite the lack of opportunities. And I think that's really important for us to kind of own that and say, yeah, we're staking our claim here. That is beautiful. We've had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Maggie Rivas-Rodriguez. And could you give out the website one more time for folks to visit? Yes, it's uh, VoicesOralHistoryProject.org. And we'll be making sure to make a big deal about the 20th anniversary in November. So thank you so much for all that you do. Oh, thank you, Tony. Thank you for what you do. Take care. Gracias. You Bye-bye. Listen, you listen to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. We're going to take a musical break, and then we'll be back with Adrian Villegas. Get ready to laugh and think. But hey, you're used to that. Stay tuned. 
My name is Jose Bayo, and I'm speaking just individually. <clears throat> I have a lot to say, but two minutes, is, I'm not going to get to it. I would just like to say more, but i like my poem to speak for me. <clears throat> the poem is called Dear America. Dear America, our administration has failed. They passed laws against our people, took away our rights and our freedom, and still expect to be held. Chalice. Dear America, you and your administration cause fear, fear through separation. Instead of building trust with our people, do y'all prefer this racial attention? Oppressed, I live my life in frustration. Private prisons, political funding, mass incarceration, you make the connection. I speak for the victims that pay for the scam. Vietnamese, Jamaican, African, Cambodian, Mexican, Salvadorian, on and on. Together we stand. We demand our respect. We want our dignity back. Our roots run deep in this country. Now that's a true fact. Dear Americans, you might be asking yourself, what's the whole point of repeating these facts? Well, I'm here to let you know. We want to feel safe whether we're brown, Asian, or black. We don't want your jobs. We don't want your money. We're here to work hard, pay taxes, and study. The fight has begun. We will never be apart, Chiquito, is what I promised my son. Y'all can try to justify your actions, try to make excuses. The bottom line here is that at the end, the people always triumph and the government loses. Dear America, do not consider this a threat. Our intentions are to continue making America great. It's time to begin standing up for what's right. Criminalizing children, separating families, our national security, does this make it all right? No, it doesn't and it won't. The youth have to stand up. We have to unite with our peers. Let's begin educating our children, speak wisdom into their ears. Because at the end of the day, I am you and you are me. Together, we are. Sincerely, those seeds you try to bury. And that is the poem, Dear America, by Jose Bello, who was rounded up by ICE after giving that presentation in public. And we here at Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, are honored to transmit that 100,000 watts. We're honored that this show will be archived. And we're going to download it on SoundCloud and email blast it out to folks as well. Because we will not stand by as our community is intimidated, forced to hide, and told that their voice doesn't matter. So stand up, rise up. We support freedom of speech and intellectual freedom and we're so proud of you uniting with us we're going to keep you posted on what's going on with that issue and more stories and again i don't want to dwell too much on the bad because only art can save us and i am excited that we are blessed to be able to spread the word and our job is to set our agenda promote our writers so we're going to now shift gears and Prepare to make you laugh and think. We're joined by telephone by with Adrian Villegas. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Hey, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it. Oh, no, thanks for inviting me to, to, to be on. I, it, I'm, I'm really excited. Awesome. Adrian Villegas is the star and playwright of the one-man comedies Six Mexicans Named Gonzalez and Barrio Days. He's the artistic director of Austin Texas's Emmy-nominated sketch troupe, The Latino Comedy Project, also known as LCP. The LCP's critically acclaimed 2017 sketch show, Gentra Blanked. We can't say that. Gentra F. <laughs> <laughs> Así se dice? Okay, good. Gentra <laughs> F. We had, to, we had to find ways to get around that on. Better, and and we see, did, yeah, we I did know. promotions for this show. <laughs> SEC offices are like standing outside right now. <laughs> As you can imagine, it enjoyed sold-out runs from Tejas to Califas, receiving Best of Austin recognition by the Austin Chronicle critics. The LCP's most recent production, Star Wars, <laughs> May the Fourth Cinco de Mayo comedy fiesta, <laughs> enjoyed a sold-out run in spring of 2019, and will become, I do, an annual event returning in 2020. Is that the case? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this was a first time out uh, this May to see, you know, how it would be received, and uh, it was as successful as we could have hoped. I mean, both in terms of, the, you know, how the audience responded to it and the turnout, and, uh, you know, uh, it, I couldn't have asked for, for a better reception than what it got. I love it. I'm going to say one more nice thing about you, and then we're in the chat. Okay. <laughs> so the San Francisco Chronicle, oh, yeah, these are California people. 
Okay, and they're not always nice to Tejanos. Muy, muy, muy fancy. I too, <laughs> Hailed the LCPs as hilarious and murderously funny. The LCP's YouTube videos have received over 14 million views worldwide. The LCP cast also co-created MTV3 comedy ad campaign, which was nominated for an Emmy Award. Felicitaciones, hombre, and welcome to Nuestra Palabra. Thanks. <laughs> that is too cool. So, uh, well, let me ask you this. So how long have you been in the game? Because I also want to give a shout-out to, to, uh, to Laura Torres. She's one of the Libre Traficantes, but she's been singing your praises, as have others. And she's like, you guys are fools. Get them on the air. And we're like, what are we thinking? Let's get them on. So you, you've been making an impact. So how long have you been in the game, Manu? Well, we celebrated the year we did Gentra F. Um, we were celebrating our 20th year in wow. existence. So, so I started doing uh, this kind of thing in, like, 97. That was my first one-man show. And the year after that, the LCP was formed uh, at the inspiration of, uh, of a mentor of mine, uh, Maria Rocha, uh, here in Central Texas, who uh, now is running the, uh, the uh, Indigenous Cultural Institute uh, uh, in San Marcos. But uh, she was the LCP, Latino County Project, was her brainchild, and she invited me to be part of it to try to get it off the ground and you know, in various ways, we've been going with that ever since. I mean, I've been carrying uh, the uh, that the leadership of that group uh, all these years, and and you know, we took a few years off uh, around 2013, uh, 2012. I, I, some for a few years, I took a break from it, but uh, we came back with Ginger F, and you know, we hadn't we had missed a step. I mean, I came we we did that show with people that were some of the original cast members. Uh, and it was felt really good. I mean, it was people, some of the people in that show in 2016, 2017 were some of the members that were there at the very beginning, you know, and, uh, it's been an, it's been an interesting journey and, and it's been really cool that when we came back, I didn't realize it until I talked to uh, Laura because I just met her recently. Um, she told me that after she moved to Austin in 2017, she didn't know where the Latinos were and what was going on. That's what she said. She she came to that show. She came to one of the runs we did of Gentra F, and she said it made her feel – it meant a lot to me that she told me this, but she said it made her feel like it was going to be okay, you know, that they were – she found her people, you know. That's awesome. And that's why we began the group, for that purpose, so that that people, like, from our community would know that there are people who are speaking for them, speaking to them about us, you know, Mm. uh, for us and to us and everybody else can get on the bandwagon if they want to priority you know <laughs> i love it well and you know what too i do want to dwell more on your uh um successes and we want to talk about your glory but go back to that to that stretch where you stepped out a little bit because also you know it's not palabra we just turned 21 it's not an easy road mano we do just literature not an easy road we're we're glad that you got back in the game especially because of what's going on. And it seems like Gentra Eft is a perfect rallying call as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what made you step out and what called you back into into the Latino art, into the Latino art world? Well, as a writer, I, I, I think I was, I was for many years, I felt like I look back and I feel like I was on autopilot. Like, like there are mm. certain things I can kind of do in my sleep. And sketch comedy was one of them. And, and that kind of writing... And I think I'd gotten away from um, what I started with, with, with my one-man shows, which was stuff that was primarily about human, humanity, that was about the soul, that was about the struggle that we all go through, and, and just the human thing. And Because uh, parody and satire is, is effective, but it can also be a little detached at mm. times, depending on how you do it. And... Uh, so I kind of needed a time off. And in that time, I, I focused on storytelling. I focused on screenwriting. I focused on mythology, story structure, and also trying to deconstruct those things that that I, as an audience member, and that other universal audiences respond to in in work of, of uh, in art, works of art and in storytelling. So when we came back and we had this opportunity to reunite in 2016 through a comedy festival called the Out of Bounds Comedy Festival here, Dave Buckman was the, the producer of that festival who, who kind of lent us an invitation. Um, Michael Trejo, uh, one of the veteran members of the group, one of the founding members of the group, uh, kind of made that happen. Then we had to ask ourselves, well, what do we want to do? What, what, what do, we, do we do like an oldie show, like a greatest hit show? Because we have like greatest hit sketches that we would do over the years, like as our touring shows and stuff. 
But we all kind of agree that it needs to be something that's relevant. Mm. And that's about right now because that's what we've always done. We always, we always did stuff that talks about what is happening right now. And in Austin, as it is in many cities where there's a Latino population or populations of color, the east side of Austin is, is being gentrified uh, very drastically mm. in, in a short time. And I pitched the idea of a show about gentrification of the group. I pitched the title <laughs> to the group. <laughs> and, uh, and they didn't, they didn't hesitate at all. The, 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 uh, Nick Walker, Omar Gallaga, Don Uribe, uh, Yamina Cohen, and uh, um, I think that's all of us. Um, Michael Trejo, like I mentioned, uh, the, the, uh, we, were, we were the ones that put the show together, and nobody batted an eye about doing something, taking on that issue. And I also told everybody, if we do a show – Based, if we, have, if we do a show with this title, we're going to have to deliver. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because you're making a statement about the attitude you're taking to this issue. And, and you know, it, it, we, you know we, we were really proud of uh, the way the show turned out. We put a lot into it, even though at the time we were only going to do one performance of it at this comedy festival. We treated it as if, you know, it was the last show we were ever going to do. And as far as we were concerned, it, it might have been. We were like, let's just wow. come back, do this show as best to our ability Let's make a mark, and then that's it, you know. And But the response to the show was such, I mean, it was the only show of that festival to sell out in advance. Wow. So apparently there was, like, a, a desire for, I, I don't even take it that it was people wanting to see us again. I think it was people, they recognized that this show was going to be about something relevant. Mm. Um, and it was a big success. And so we put together our own run of it the next summer, and uh, that was a, you know, a, a success that sold out that a lot of people came to see that, but there was something about the response that I think we all kind of looked at each other and go like, God, and we put the show together originally before the 2016 election happened. Wow. So it was a <laughs> lot different landscape. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. In 2017 than the year before. So I, we kind of looked at each other and were like, this is, this is more than just doing a show. This mm. is almost like a public service. Brilliant. At this point, right? You know, so we all recognized, and I and I re- and, and that's why I remounted my one man show because it was actually more relevant now than when I originally wrote it. I, I mounted it that, wow. that fall of twenty seventeen. So uh, I because I I could sense that people that were coming they wanted some affirmation. They wanted to know that they weren't the only people who were feeling this way and seeing what was happening and who were and and there's a, a great power in. In, in hearing and uh, in, in seeing what you what you feel uh, and what you know to be true reflected back at you, I think there's a catharsis in that. There's a, there's a strength in that. So we we totally recognize like the the greater context that we were coming back into, and that's why we still kept going. That's why we did it Star Wars because Star Wars was uh, on the surface. It, it seemed I think people expected a kind of uh, a funny little cute parody. I, like what I tell people is that. They came expecting Spaceballs, and they got a little bit of Schindler's List. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because that was a very political wow. show about what's happening now about family separation. It incorporated is a very funny show, but there were parts of it that people, you know, people were tearing up and, and very moved and reminded of the reality we're living in. So, you know, none of this, and that's, again, that's from the time that I was not doing this, that I, I kind of regrouped my own creative priorities and my, you know, re, redefine my own aesthetic as a writer and all that stuff. So I try to bring all of that reality into whatever we're doing along with the comedy, you know? Um, no, so it, it, it's been interesting and it's been, uh, you know, it's that thing. I'm, I'm sure it's the thing that a lot of people you've spoken to feel, they feel like they're doing something that's part of a bigger purpose, not just about their own little, uh, concerns in their own ego you know ego driven creativity right. right well i think too what's interesting is to kind of look at the the different layers of it cuz you got rasa performers and writers yep you know talking about uh the gentrification issue how what's i think what's unique to austin too is and you know don't call me out when i'm having a great time in austin and just loving it but it is interesting that in my humble opinion it's hard to pinpoint the Raza in Austin is it, to me. It's kind of strange because it's liberal, but it's kind of hidden. So to me, it it seems powerful from the outside that you got Raza actors coming up with something so poignant, but also getting our view in there. Is that fair to say? Am, am I too much smack talking Austin, or you think that's that's a fair analysis? Well, I'll just put it to you this way: Please. nobody had done that show before. Boom. 
Dang, that's deep, too. Well, so, I mean, and that yeah. was part of my own frustration. I'm like, because, you know, in the time that I wasn't doing anything, I would hear all this, you know, coverage about the, the Austin comedy scene is flourishing, and it's a lot of improv <laughs> theaters and, and a lot of a certain type of community doing work. And I just remember saying, this is happening right here. This is in our backyard. This is, and ironically, it's not just affecting brown people. It's, right. They're like, they're like art, white-owned arts organizations that have had to move out of their spaces because they got priced out, and that's the way it always is. You, that's, the, that's the story of America right mm. now and for a long time is that white people thinking it's not going to affect them. And a show done about that topic and had uh, specifically about Austin, you know, and so that tells you right there what the priorities are and why, what the need is. And um, as far as, you know, I always make a joke about certain types of uh, white people's idea of certain types of liberal quote-unquote white people's but, ideas. But by the way, I'm going to jump in because we caught you on the dump button. We caught, we caught you. You can't say certain words. <laughs> you said one of the we cut it on the dump button. So, oh, what did I say? I don't remember. It begins with an S. So. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. Our, our, I'm our, glad you, our crew um, caught us and we're, they're all laughing. I'm like, why are they laughing? They're like, we caught, we caught that word. So just, just Okay, so, good, yeah. good, good, good. <laughs> um, go no, like, but, uh, but, but that tells you some, but, but there's a, there's a thing I always say about the, some some liberal white people's idea of uh, the people who consider themselves very liberal, their idea of diversity is like we like all kinds of white stuff, you know. <laughs> and right. and so they're kind of up their own uh, butt, so to speak, you know, uh, uh, in terms of what they're exposed to, what they seek out. And uh, it is it is you're not wrong. You're not wrong. It, it is a very kind of um, uh, uh, precious kind of place and you have to make yourself heard and uh, luckily i will say that when we do our shows you know there's a lot of uh um uh obviously our our, our hint to come out but but it is a very diverse audience which is great we, exactly that's great and we're and we're and i appreciate that that's been true of the lcp since the beginning um uh, but i also think that has to do with quality if you do something of right. quality uh anybody will want to see it you know and, and, and I do want to close. Uh, my, they're telling us that we got about two minutes left. I do want to talk about Star Wars, but I also want to say that to me, hearing you take that break because you were very deep. I mean, you're basically an intellectual, so you needed that time to kind of recalibrate. So it made sense that we came back. You guys were fierce, but let's close up by telling us about Star Wars and some emails and socials that people can can latch onto because we're gonna, we're going to see you next time we're in Austin. So give the socials out first. Uh, social media, uh, just do a search for Latino Comedy Project, and all of our social media will come up. Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we have a website, uh, all of that stuff. I'm on, I'm on Instagram, uh, I'm on Facebook, Adrian Villegas. Um, I would just say do, do, do a search for Latino Comedy Project and Adrian Villegas, and all that stuff will come up. And uh, Star Wars has an Instagram um, <laughs> Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, we posted about that show going back many months, and as far as that show, uh, the idea was to was to re re envision because uh, I grew I was the first generation of Star Wars kids. That was me, um, and it meant, it's been a lot to my whole like creative, you know, development. Mm. I mean, I, I started doing everything I do because of Star Wars basically when I was a kid. But also, it was a way to re envision the struggle from that from the from that ep, from that saga in a way that's relevant to right now. So mm. everything was re envisioned. I mean, the characters. The Yoda was an abuela named Yola <laughs> that was based on my, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and she was like the wise center of power <laughs> right. in, the, in, the, in the movie. And we actually you know, did her as a puppet. She was actually a puppet on stage, her character, and puppeteered by an actress named Eva McQuaid. And so, I mean, it was all recast to be relevant to, to our, our culture and our existence and also what's happening right now. So, um, uh Love it, it. And it was very, and it was it, it was really well received. It was it was successful, and we're going to try to make it an annual event, you know. Um, and it. it's going to happen next year. So keep an eye out for that, so you can get you can get on our email list and and uh, uh, at, at those different social media things I told you about. Um, but that was Beautiful. that was it was a really hard show to put together, but it, it was worth it. It was worth it. We created something that that's that's another part of the whole uh, the whole motivation is like doing things that wouldn't exist otherwise, you know. Love it. Words to live by. Well, continued success. Please keep us posted. We'd love to follow up with you uh, later in the year. And uh, thanks for calling in. 
Oh, yeah, and YouTube, too. Thank you. I appreciate it. I forgot we got a lot of videos on YouTube. <laughs> <as well. laughs> Thanks a lot, Tony. I really appreciate it. Igualmente. Gracias. We've been, right, we've been speaking with Adrian V. Egas. Great show today. And next week, another great show focusing all on poetry. We're going to have Poet Laureate Leslie Contreras Schwartz. We love it because we knew her before she was Poet Laureate. Now she doesn't return our calls, but oh well. No, just kidding. And then Lilian Rivera, who's also a fantastic writer. Another great lineup. Thank you so much for your support. This is Tony Diaz. Leave it to the saying bye. 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 Ciao. <laughs> See you next week. Gracias. No matter where you are on the political spectrum, KPFT is a daily check-in on the workings of democracy. Part of a democracy is an independent press and media. Media like this is supposed to be the check and balance on government. And community radio is one of the few media outlets left that is completely independent. That's why, in this age of the greatest media consolidation America has ever seen, having different voices out there is essential. KPFT has been around since 1970, and we have survived through the contributions of people like you. Listeners who donate to KPFT support us because they know that's what keeps KPFT independent. Why wait for a pledge drive? You can join KPFT online at kpft.org. Thomas Jefferson said, People cannot be both ignorant and free. Help keep KPFT vibrant with your financial contribution. Visit kpft.org to join securely online. This is commercial-free, listener-sponsored Pacifica Radio, KPFT Houston. Many of us know someone looking to sell or just get rid of an old car, truck, RV, or motorcycle. It may be just taking up room in the garage or driveway. Sometimes the cost of the repair just doesn't make a sale even worth it. And as we all look for tax deductions at the end of the year, you may want to consider donating that unwanted vehicle, running or not. KPFT can have the vehicle towed away at no charge to you. The owner, you, get a tax receipt for deductions at the end of the year, a KPFT membership, and the satisfaction of knowing that old vehicle went to a good cause. It's a win all the way around. So just call toll-free 1-855-KPFT-CAR. That's 1-855-573-8227. No matter if it's a car, truck, scooter, farm equipment, just about any kind of vehicle, we can take care of it. Just call 